welcome back to Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And before we start today's episode, we just want to honor the victims of the July 4th Highland Park shooting. I wish I didn't have to talk about things like this, but I think it is important that we honor those that were lost. Their lives are cut short where they should have just been enjoying time with their loved ones. So we want to take a moment to remember them. First up is Irina McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Catherine Goldstein. Jacqueline Sundheim. Steven Strauss. Nicholas Toledo Zaragoza. And Eduardo Uvaldo. Thank you for letting us take a moment to remember the victims of this horrible tragedy. We have linked to GoFundMe in the show notes where funds are being collected for the survivors of this shooting, as well as helping those families that have lost their loved ones. And we hope that if you're able, you can donate to help these families in a time of great, great need. Absolutely. Our hearts are totally shattered by this. And we're thinking and sending all of our prayers to these families. Have you ever read or heard of The Most Dangerous Game? I have not. So it's a short story. And Mm -hmm. I remember reading it as part of an AP English course way back when. And the reason I remember it is because it was terrifying. And, And quite frankly, I'm not sure why it was required reading for the class. I think what's terrifying is AP English. Like, that was a hard yeah. class. <laughs> that, that's very true. I also had a very, very terrifying teacher. But the story is about a rich Russian man named General Zaroff who becomes bored with hunting wild game after acquiring all these trophy kills, which we won't even go into that subject. Mm-mm. When an experienced New York hunter, Rainsford, washes ashore, he meets the general and his servant, Ivan. So this is where the tale gets weird. The general then tells Rainsford of his horrible hunting game. He had built a home on the island of Shiplap for the sole purpose of hunting humans. Ugh, the goosebumps. Like, this is the the plot of every terrifying nightmare mm-hmm. I have, I think. They decide to hunt Rainsford for sport, giving him three rules. He has only three days to catch him. If he evades General Zaroff successfully, he will then be taken to safety, and Rainsford will only be provided a small food supply and a hunting knife for protection. Considering where this dark story is going, and I don't want you to read it because it's full of racist nonsense, I will spoil this ending. Rainsford kills the general and his servant. Okay, I love this. I'm already hooked, but where are you going with this in regards to episode four? Well, I am covering the case of Robert Hansen. Most people would know him as the butcher baker. He is one of yes. He is one of the most notorious serial killers from my home state of Alaska. I told you last episode we we're going north, and we certainly are. Robert Hansen probably never read the most dangerous game, but he sure ended up turning this fictional story into an autobiographical one. I am so excited for this episode because I've seen a few people cover this case, and I've also watched Frozen Ground. So I'm pumped for this. You're also right. This is easier to get to Alaska by plane versus my idea of a road trip. (laughs) Yes, for sure. I did watch Frozen Ground, which is kind of what sparked my curiosity with this case and being from Alaska. But I've got to say, there is so much more to this story that could not be fit in a two-hour movie. And with that said, this is going to be our first two-parter. Well, cliffhanger at the end. Yeah, I got a little bit too invested in this case and really wanted to do justice (laughs) by the victims, but also give a little Alaska history. So we are doing two parts 
We're going to start off with part one, obviously, but you won't have to wait very long for part two, I promise. Before we begin, I want to give a trigger warning. This case, there's multiple, multiple victims, and we're going to be talking about sexual assault. We're going to be talking about sex work. Um, This case does get really dark, and it's hard to even comprehend someone doing what Robert Hansen does to another human. But if you can and are in a place where you're comfortable to listen, stick with me, because there might just be a real underdog turned hero in this story. Robert Christian Hansen was born on February 15, 1939, to parents Christian and Edna. His father was a baker and, from Robert's accounts, was an intensely strict disciplinarian. Robert worked incredibly long hours in his father's bakery. My sister worked in a bakery, not the same bakery, in Alaska. (laughs) She did not work for him, thank God. But I remember her having to wake up, I'm talking like three in the morning, way before the sun came up, unless it's summer in Alaska where the sun doesn't set. But she would go to work so early. And so now I'm imagining a young Robert Hansen waking up before dawn as a young child and working before school would even start. I totally understand why you say his dad was a disciplinarian, because that's intense for a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Like they need their sleep. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for young Robert, school was not a safe haven from his home life. He was teased relentlessly and bullied. He had a pretty bad stutter and severe acne that scarred his face permanently. I don't have compassion in my heart for adult Robert, but I think this is why I enjoy going into these people's backgrounds so I can understand or have some understanding of what maybe led up to some of these actions. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, high school is rough for everyone, but when you're constantly being bullied, I can have sympathy for young Robert. But I imagine this constant ridicule coming mainly from, you know, the popular attractive girls in school and his poor home life. It's enough to make any teenager boil over and boil over he did. At the age of 18, in 1957, Robert enlisted in the United States Army Reserve, and he only served for one year before being discharged, and I couldn't find out why he was discharged after that short time. But then he moved to Pocahontas, Iowa, where he worked as an assistant drill instructor at a police academy. Okay, so he kind of stayed in that Army Reserve type feel where he wanted to have the last say. He liked kind of being in charge, being that leader. Yeah. Robert married his first wife in the summer of 1960. Not much is said about their relationship. I couldn't even find her name. They just referred to her as quite a bit younger. And given the fact that he is probably around 20 at this time, uh, I don't even want to know what young right. is. Right, concerning. One of many things that will be concerning yeah. <laughs> about Robert Hansen. But she filed for divorce later that year when at the age of 21, Hansen was arrested, get this, for burning down a school bus garage. Oh, my gosh. Why? Do we know why? We do-ish. It's believed to be his way of getting back at those high school bullies. Oh, okay. That makes sense. He had all of this pent-up anger and in a bit, um, maybe like a little bit traumatized from the bullying and from the stutter and the acne. So this is his way to get back. That makes sense. And if you know anything about profiling serial killers, arson is never a good sign. Robert was sentenced to three years in jail for the crime, but only served about 23 months. While he was incarcerated, he was seen by a psychiatrist who diagnosed him with manic depression, and they said that he had periodic schizophrenic episodes. It was also noted by the psychiatrist that he had an infantile personality. Hmm. What does that mean? 
I had to do some Googling. I did some research. I found the easiest way that I can explain it as a non-professional is someone who basically has incredibly childlike actions and understanding of the world around them. They don't really understand consequences for their action. And they are highly, highly reactive to rejection, which like same. Yeah, absolutely. I hate rejection too. I think everyone does. Yeah, biggest fear. But this particular psychiatrist believed that because of this personality type, it made him obsessed with seeking revenge for those who wronged him, which you will see play out later in his life and obviously was why they believed he burnt down that school bus garage. That makes sense because a lot of us, don't get me wrong, high school wasn't easy for anyone, but we can kind of move on from now. We, we become adults. So seeing him dwell in the past so deeply, it does connect back to this diagnosis. Right. There are many people who struggle with mental health issues who do not carry out violent acts. But I think it's important to make note of this because you will see a pattern of Robert choosing victims that play out his revenge fantasy on the girls who teased and bullied him in high school. But by no means is him being diagnosed as bipolar have any say in him being a violent person or not. Absolutely. In 1963, Robert married his second wife, Darla Hansen. Together, they moved to Anchorage in 1967. Now, are you ready for a little Alaska history lesson there, Annie? I love whenever you talk about Alaska because to me it is truly the great unknown, the last frontier. So give me a history lesson. I'm ready for it. I went down a rabbit hole and my dad is probably sick of me calling him because my dad also worked for the oil field. So I was using my dad as a lot of reference points here. But I need to explain a little bit about Alaska during this time period. Around 1967, the same year Robert had moved to Alaska, there was a lot going on by way of discovering the amount of oil Alaska actually contained. By March of the next year, Atlantic Richfield, or ARCO as most Alaskans would know it by, their drilling crew hit pay dirt. What is pay dirt? The phrase can be used for many things, but in this instance, it's just used as a way to express they had found land with a significant oil supply. Got it. Okay. So by March of the same year, they discovered a second well, which confirmed the existence of the Prudhoe Bay oil field. This was a huge deal because they estimated the field to contain more than 25 billion barrels of oil. Whoa! That is a lot. It's a ton, making it the largest oil field in America and the 18th largest in the entire world. Wow. Now, President Nixon was, you know, president at this time, and he was a huge supporter of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline being built. And when the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries, try to say that 10 times fast, <laughs> announced an oil embargo against the United States because what we had done was supported Israel during the Yom Kippur War they were not very happy with us. So Nixon made it his mission to get this pipeline built and supply the U.S. with all of this oil. After many attempts to stop it from the Inuit people, uh, conservationists, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline was finished, and on July 28, 1977, the first barrel of oil reached Valdez by the way of pipeline. Now, what does this have anything to do with Robert Hansen? Besides a great history lesson, because that is good to know. That's all new to me. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know a lot of this either, but I point this out because it was almost as if Alaska was experiencing its second gold rush. People were going there by the hundreds, by the thousands to get these high paying jobs on the pipeline. You know, the United States during this time was going through a recession. So a lot of people loved the idea of a higher paying job, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it was appealing. Plus, Alaska is a gorgeous state to live in. 
A lot of people, I'm sure, looked at Alaska as a way of escaping their previous lives, a way to start over, obviously with a higher paying job. Of course, with any influx of money at an extreme rate to an area, there's also going to be an influx in crime. Sex work or stripping became a way of life for many women who wanted to make money off the high salaries of the pipeline workers. And unfortunately, while the crime rate was going higher, so was the demand for a larger police force. But many police officers in these areas had given up that public sector job to become pipeline security officers because it paid like substantially more. So that makes sense why you're saying more people are moving there. Crime rate went up. I was kind of wondering, don't you think there'd be more police officers, but if they're trying to make more money. That right. totally I mean, sense. how can you say no to almost double your pay? Alaska at this time was growing exponentially, but with the influx of sex workers and lack of police presence, this made this time in Alaska Robert Hansen's messed up personal playground. Ugh. Now back to Robert. What is he up to? Just, you know, chilling, drinking some lemonade. Oh, no. Just getting arrested for assault with a deadly weapon and multiple petty theft charges. It was not until 1976 when Robert was arrested for trying to steal a chainsaw from an Anchorage store that he ever faced any lengthy jail time. Okay, so was was that like the, the, uh, what do they say, the straw that broke the camel's back was him stealing that chainsaw? Yes, because this would be his third felony. Got it. Something of this caliber criminally could normally be written off as a misdemeanor because he didn't hurt anyone in the process. There was no, you mm-hmm. know, threatening actions or weapons used to steal this weapon or mm-hmm. try to. Um, but because of his past, they did charge him with a felony. He was sentenced to five years in prison due to this being, like I said, his third felony. However, after working with a psychiatrist and receiving lithium, which is a drug used to kind of stabilize bipolar episodes, He appealed his sentence. I was able to pull up the court records of this appeal, and the judge agreed that since Robert's theft involved no physical aggression, it didn't result in any physical injury to anyone, and due to him being willing to continue mental health treatment, Robert's sentence could be reduced to time served. Mm, I don't know if I like that. I feel like this guy, is a, he's a loose cannon. He's making me nervous. I don't know. I get that five years is a bit steep for shoplifting a chainsaw, But the problem here is that Robert is like perfecting this well-rehearsed role of good family guy, man about town who just made a simple, you know, forgivable mistake. People Mm -hmm. even submitted character references for him about how he was such a hard worker, provided for his family. But if Robert had been kept in jail for those five years, then the four women he is suspected of killing in 1980 would most likely still be alive. Wow, it's like that movie, The Butterfly Effect. They talk about how one little ripple can have this huge outcome. And I think this right here proves that if he was in jail, these women, would, they would still be alive. And that's really sad. It is. And I get that hindsight is twenty twenty, So I can't, mm-hmm. you know, argue with their decision. Because in, in many cases, you know, people make mistakes. They move on with their life. But Robert Hansen is not one of those people. So it just makes me very, very upset that he was let go. Before I get any further into Robert Hansen's specific level of disgusting, I want to introduce you to the hero of today's story, and her name is Cindy Paulson. Cindy Paulson was born July 5th, 1965. She had an incredibly difficult childhood, and she even started running away from home at the age of 12. Oh, a baby. She was literally a baby. Her story is just so incredibly sad how it started out because 
of all the abuse and poverty she was facing at home. She didn't want to be there, obviously. So she began running away. She meets a pimp who began, well, you know, let's just call it what it is. He was sex trafficking her to men. And by the time that this little girl was 15, Mr. Franklin, her pimp, had made her his quote-unquote main lady, dressing her in furs, letting her drive his Lincoln Continental, and of course, an endless supply of drugs, usually cocaine, to keep her under his control. It's really sad because she's so young and vulnerable. She's only 15. She left home at 12. I think back to whatever I was 12 and 15. I was very vulnerable. I probably would have followed the Pied Piper. Right. Yeah. So it's really sad to see that, that this guy was t- took advantage of her. And Well, and not only that, when you're coming up from poverty and abuse, she's talking about putting her in furs and letting her drive around. And I'm sure some of that seemed, you know, glamorous to a certain Absolutely. degree. It's just, oh, yeah. it's, it's disgusting. And she was 100% a victim pretty much from the start of her life. But she wouldn't stay a victim. On June 13th, 1983, Cindy was 18 years old when she was approached by Robert Hansen. You know, that guy. I was always under the impression that this was just a random meeting, but Robert had actually met Cindy when she asked him for money for a cigarette, and he expressed a desire to want to have sex with her in exchange for money. How that conversation turned from money for a cigarette to sex? Well, we'll blame men for that. Yes. But... (laughs) (laughs) He then told her he was, you know, I'm late for work because remember, he's a baker. So he had to get up quite early and she reported that this was about 4 a.m. So he was headed into work and just, you know, couldn't have sex with her right at that moment, but would like her information to get in touch with her later. So he contacts her to meet up. They make a plan for that Sunday, but she overslept her appointment. And I wish that that is where this story could have ended. But Robert Hansen had picked his picked his victim and wanted to follow through. So he found her. She was on the corner of 4th and Denali in Anchorage. At the time, this is where a lot of sex workers were prospecting their johns. He offered her $200 to perform oral sex on him in his vehicle. The two pulled off, and after she performed oral sex on him, he cuffed her hands and pulled a gun on her. Oh, my gosh. I cannot imagine the fear going through her of just like, oh, no, this took a turn for the worst. Cindy was later interviewed by police about her experience, and I want to share in her own words the horror she went through that day, but also how incredibly brave Cindy was. I'm going to keep referencing her age because I think it is so important to consider not only her history, but her very young age and how brave she was. So Cindy said about that day, he handcuffed me to the chair at first, and then he had chained my hands and handcuffed me to the bottom of the other chair and had my neck tied with a rope around it to the coffee table, and we made love on a bearskin rug. And I was on my period at the time and had a tampon in my womb, and he had sex with me with no rubber. And then he kept telling me, you know, if I, if I would be okay, he won't hurt me. And then after I had went to use the bathroom, and he was following me with the rope still tied around my neck, and I was handcuffed the entire time. I went to the bathroom and started to come out, and he told me to go back in. And I heard chains start to rattle, and I came out, and he had laid a little bed down on the floor by the pool table, and he wrapped the chain around my neck four times, handcuffed me so I couldn't move around even a little bit. I was there for five hours, and I had to pee on the rug over by the pool table, and he saw me and didn't do nothing. And then about five hours later, he woke up and came over there, and I told him all I wanted to do was go home, and I won't tell nobody. 
And the whole time he took all of my money and my jewelry and told me that since he liked me so good that he would take me back to his cabin, make love to me just one more time, and bring me back. He said that he had a plane over at Merrill Airfield and that we would go there and he would take me to his cabin and bring me back. I knew that I was never coming back. My fight or flight instinct is heightened after you just read that from her. I cannot imagine being in that position, being so young and terrified and having the chain around her neck being tied up. It's awful. It was. I read the entirety of the interview and she goes into a lot greater detail that I'll spare you guys from. But it just those two paragraphs alone, like I'm kind of holding back tears now because I just can't. I can't imagine. But our little fighter, Cindy, would come back. Robert pulled into Merrill Airfield and informed a handcuffed Cindy that he needed to install another seat in the airplane for her. He retrieved the seat from the trunk of his car and brought it to the plane. In an incredibly brave split-second decision, Cindy bolted from the vehicle and ran for her damn life. Now, Robert Hansen didn't like that much, so he chased after her with a gun, but Cindy managed to get a man driving a white truck to stop for her. Obviously, he took note of the hysterical state she was in. The girl is handcuffed, her young age, she's crying hysterically, and he thankfully picked her up, drove her into town to a local hotel where she had the staff call her pimp, Mr. Franklin, to take her back to where she was living at the time, the Big Timber Motel. Thankfully, the truck driver called the police to report the incident. I mean, thank you, sir, because I I don't trust Mr. Franklin to be involving the police. No, I feel like he would turn the other cheek and be like, I don't know who this person was. She did later say that he, I mean, he has to protect where his assets are, I guess, but I will give him a little credit. Apparently, the reason she was alone is he went to try to find Mr. Robert Hansen himself. So fortunately, he didn't find him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the police came to the Big Timber Motel and poor Cindy, like I said, was sitting in a room all alone and still handcuffed. She was then taken to the Anchorage Police Department where she gave a very detailed description of Robert Hansen. When I say very, we have talked even in the last case about these eyewitnesses and how incredibly accurate Mm -hmm. their portrayals are, which is, is just truthfully not always the case when you're talking about details surrounding a trauma. Right. I have a question about this. I've never been to Alaska. Is it a big, is Anchorage a big city? Like, do they know from the description, okay, hang on, this guy's on our radar. He committed some felonies or do they not put the two pieces together? Well, I don't know the population at this time. Anchorage is considered Alaska's biggest city, but you wouldn't, you know, say, oh, I there's a brown haired fellow that has this description. They're like, oh, I know that guy. He lives right down the street. It's not like a small town where everyone knows everyone. Okay. Yeah, it's more it's the most like metropolis area that we have in Alaska. Again, the amount of details Cindy was able to recall, not just about her the horrible abuse she endured, but she could pinpoint his home down to the minute details of street signs on the way, perfectly accurate descriptions of the basement where he had her tied up, even down to something as minuscule as the numbers around the clock, she could tell you what color they were. She's a smart girl. Incredibly smart. She even had the wherefore to keep her tampon inside of her because had she disposed of it, she could have been disposing of evidence. Wow. I mean, I how do you think this incredible. way at 18? Right. Right. In Cindy's own words, and excuse my language, but her words, not mine. <laughs> In Cindy's own <laughs> words from her interview, 
You see, when he was driving, I observed everything because this motherfucker wasn't getting away with it. I knew I was in trouble and I really, really, well, if there's any chance of me getting away, he was not getting away with it. I yes, love her. Cindy. I love her. Ooh. I just knocked my bike because I was punching the air. <laughs> <laughs> I was punching the air. I'm so excited because that is just a badass attitude mm-hmm. and I applaud her for it. Her description of Robert was so accurate. But when Robert Hansen was called to be questioned, he denied it all and told the police that Cindy was trying to extort him for money because he had refused to pay her high demands for sex work that they had agreed upon. So now she was just making up lies to cause him trouble. Oh, boy. That's that's the best you got? Really? Right. I feel like the police aren't going to have anything then if, if it's like he said, she said. But she has all these details. Yeah. I guess, yeah. yes, it doesn't prove, it proves she was in the house, but it doesn't prove that he did anything to her. I mean, this part's going to make you want to scream. Even with a extensive prior record, because Hitson was considered a family man who had a humble job as a baker, a wife who tutored children, and had an alibi from his good buddy, John Henning, Robert was released and Cindy's case went cold. No, no. Oh, I wish you all could see me because I am like using my fingers here to tell how pissed off this makes me. (laughs) Like what that told Cindy was you are a sex worker, which Mm -hmm. means you are not to be believed. That means that anyone in a high risk lifestyle, we're not going to put any weight into your words. You don't matter. And this happens so much. I mean, it, it just... It makes me so angry because unfortunately for those who follow true crime, we know that this is how so many killers get away with things because they go after sex workers and vulnerable Mm -hmm. people who maybe aren't reported immediately, who don't have a family that necessarily knows their, you know, daily schedule, ins and outs, you know, whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, this is an 18 year old girl telling that you she has been raped. Her life has been threatened. And because good old white boy Robert says, oh, no, she's crazy. She's trying to cause trouble for me. They believe him. I'm speechless because this this is so infuriating. But you're right, at least it happens even now in 2022. It still happens. People sweep them under the rug. Their cases are not given the energy other cases are giving. And it's infuriating. It is. But that's not to say all police officers had this opinion. We're going to enter into the chat. Detective Glenn Fothy. 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 Annie, what did I tell you his name was? Fothy. Fothy. Yep. I'm not great at pronouncing names, so bear with me, (laughs) y'all. But he was with the Alaska State Troopers. He was currently investigating several bodies that had been found in or around Anchorage, and this officer wanted answers. And to get those answers, he would have to rely on the criminal profile given to him by the FBI and Cindy Paulson. There's our girl. There she is. And with that, Scary Squad, I'm going to leave this story for today. No, I was, ugh, I need to release. <laughs> so on the next episode, again, I will not make you wait very long. We're going to get into the investigation of Robert Hansen, his suspected 20-plus sexual assault and murder victims. And I will be tying it back to the story we started with mm. about hunting humans. But don't worry. I'll be back later this week to to give you part two, but until then, 